Chapter Four of At the Time Appointed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Graymore. At the Time Appointed by A. Maynard Barber. Chapter Four. Life or Death. Hour by hour the clouds thickened, obscuring every ray of light, closing the avenues of sight and sound, until, isolated from the outer world by this intangible yet impenetrable barrier, Darrell was alone in a world peopled only with the phantoms of his imagination. Of the lapse of time, of the weary procession of days and nights which followed, he knew nothing. Day and night were to him only an endless repetition of the horrors which thronged his fevered brain. Again and again he lived over the tragic scene in the sleeping car, each iteration and reiteration growing in dreadful realism, until it was he himself who grappled in deadly contest with the murderer, and the latter in turn became a monster, whose hot breath stifled him, whose malign, demoniacal glance seemed to sear his eyeballs like living fire. Over and over, with failing strength, he waged the unequal contest, striving at last with a legion of hideous forms. Then as the clouds grew still more dense about him, these shapes grew dim, and he found himself weak and trembling, adrift upon a sea of darkness whose black waves tossed him angrily, with each breath threatening to engulf him in their gloomy depths. Desperately he battled with them, each struggle leaving him weaker than the last, until at length, scarcely breathing, his strength utterly exhausted, he lay watching the towering forms as they swept relentlessly towards him, gathering strength and fury as they came. He saw the yawning abysses on each side, he heard the roar of the oncoming waves, but was powerless to move hand or foot. But while he waited in helpless terror, the waves on which he tossed to and fro grew calm. Then they seemed to divide, and he felt himself going down, down into infinite depths. The sullen roar died away. The darkness was flooded with golden light, and through its ethereal waves he was still floating downward more gently than ever. A rose-leaf floated to earth on the evening's breath. Through the waves of golden light there came to him a faint, distant murmur of voices in the words, "'He is sinking fast!' He smiled with perfect content wondering dreamily if it would never end. Then consciousness was lost in utter oblivion. Three weeks had elapsed since Darrell came to the Pines. August had given place to September, but the languorous days brought no secession of the fearful heat, no cooling rain to the panting earth, no promise of renewed life to the drought-smitten vegetation. The timber on the ranges had been reduced to masses of charred and smoldering embers, among which the low flames still crept and crawled, winding their way up and down the mountains. The pall of smoke overhanging the city grew more and more dense, until there came a morning when, as the sun looked over the distant ranges, the landscape was suffused with a dull red glare which steadily deepened until all objects assumed a blood-red hue. Two or three hours passed, and then a lurid light illumined the strange scene, brightening moment by moment, till earth and sky glowed like a mass of molten copper. The heat seemed to concentrate upon that part of the earth's surface. The air grew oppressive and an ominous silence reigned, in which even the birds were hushed and the dumb brutes cowered beside their masters. As the brazen glow was fading to a weird yellow light, an anxious group was gathered about Darrell's bedside. He still tossed and moaned in delirium, but his movements had grown pathetically feeble, and the moans were those of a tired child sobbing himself to sleep. "'He cannot hold out much longer,' said Dr. Bradley, his fingers on the weakening pulse. "'His strength is failing rapidly.' "'There will be a change soon, one way or the other,' said the nurse." and there's not much of a chance left him now. One chance in a hundred, said Dr. Bradley slowly, and that is his wonderful constitution. He may pull through where ninety-nine others would die. Dr. Bradley watched the sick man in silence, 
Then, noting that the room was darkening, he stepped to an open window and cast a look of anxious inquiry at the murky sky. As if in answer to his thought, there came the low rumble of distant thunder, bringing a look of relief and hopefulness to the face of the physician. Returning to the bedside, he gave a few directions, then, as he was leaving, remarked, "'There will be a change in the weather soon, a change that may help to turn the tide in his favour, provided it does not come too late.' Hours passed. The distant mutterings grew louder, while the darkness and gloom increased, and the sense of oppression became almost intolerable. Suddenly, the leaden mass which had overspread the sky appeared to drop to earth, and in the dead silence which followed could be heard the roar of wind through the gorges and down the canyons. A moment more, and the clouds of dust and debris, the outriders of the coming tempest, rushed madly through the streets in whirling columns, towering far above the city. From their vantage ground, the dwellers at the pines watched the course of the storm, but only for a moment. Then, blinding sheets of water hid even the nearest objects from view, while lightnings flashed incessantly, and the thunder crashed and rolled in one ceaseless, deafening roar. The trees waved their arms in wild, helpless terror, as one and another of their number were prostrated by the storm, while the dry channels on the mountainside became raging, foaming torrents. Suddenly the winds changed. A chilling blast swept across the plateau, and to the rush of the wind, the roar of the thunder, and the crash of falling timber was added the sharp staccato of swiftly descending hail. For nearly an hour the storm raged in its fury, then departed as suddenly as it came, but it left behind a clear atmosphere, crisp as an October morning as the storm-clouds, touched with beauty by the rays of the setting sun, were settling below the eastern ranges, Dr. Bradley again entered the sick-room. The room was flooded with golden light, and the physician was quick to note the changes which the few hours had wrought in the sick man. The fever had gone, and his strength spent, his splendid energies exhausted. Life's forces were ebbing moment by moment. "'He is sinking fast,' said Mrs. Dean. Even as she spoke, a smile stole over the pallid features, and as they watched eagerly for some token of returning consciousness, the nervous system, so long strained to its utmost tension, suddenly relaxed and utter collapse followed. For hours Darrell lay as one dead, an occasional fluttering about the heart being the only sign of life. But late in the forenoon of the following day, the watchers by the bedside, noting each feeble pulsation, thinking it might be the last, felt an almost imperceptible quickening of the life current. Gradually the fluttering pulse grew calm and steady, the faint respirations grew deeper and more regular, until at length, with a long, tremulous sigh, Darrell sank into slumber, sweet and restful as a child's, and the watchers knew that the crisis had passed. End of chapter 4